The Dragon Reread is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know that the word for a group of armadillos is a barrel? Yeah, that's right. You call them a barrel of armadillos. Or you did until that term was later stolen by the monkeys. <laughs> They're just so much fun, you know? <laughs> How can you compete with that? <laughs> Can't compete with a barrel full of monkeys. For more armadillo-related facts, to check out our other podcasts, and find out how you can access episodes a day early, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash club. Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to the Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Michael Sparkman. And today we're covering chapters 9 through 12 of Crossroads of Twilight, book 10 of the Wheel of Time. Previously, inexplicably, Perrin continues to pursue his <clears throat> charming wife, Fail. You gotta feel bad for the guy. Probably no one has pulled a knife on him or gut punched him in weeks. <laughs> so while he's trying to pursue that dubious goal, there is just so much drama happening around him. He's got this dragon cult, he's got these wise ones, the Aes Sedai, and the queens of two different sovereign nations. What's a wolf going to do to catch a break, right? But it gets worse from there. Although they do catch up to the Shido, it's like way more Shido than he has the resources to deal with. So... I guess he's going to have to come up with a clever plan. Uh, you know, I'm always going to root for Perrin here, but um, I got to say, my boy, it doesn't look great. But you know, <laughs> maybe what if he just didn't rescue Fael, eh? No? Maybe? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> so Perrin's plan is, we know what his plan's going to be, right? It's going to like summon a thousand wolves and freak all the Shido out and kill them all. And then to have the Ashiman nuke him. No, no, he's going to do the blacksmith's puzzle. He's going to push on it and pull on it until the the treasure comes out or whatever. I don't actually know how blacksmith puzzles work. <laughs> and then you, you take out your hammer and you hammer it until it's all one piece and then you've solved it. <laughs> it's a good puzzle. <laughs> Chapter nine, Traps, Icon of the Falcon. So speaking of our favorite character, Fael. Oh, we get a Fael chapter, huh? That's fine, I guess. Yes, Fael in captivity, in slavery to the Shido. But not dead, so I guess that's good. <laughs> Damn. I like Fael. I am pro-Fael, if yeah. I'm the only one. Yeah, she's, she's fine. She's, she's fine, Jeff. Yeah, well, she doesn't accomplish a super lot in this chapter. So she's... We start in with her busy reporting to Summerin because she's spying for like everybody there, right? She's spying for Summerin, she's spying for Thirava, she's spying for Savannah, and she's spying for Galena. Right. Yeah. Uh and so she's just caught up in this power play. Yeah, it's it's, and it's kind of helpless. It's pretty risky. Uh any one of those people who catches her is definitely gonna kill her, right? Yeah, absolutely. But as she's reporting in, again, Rand's, shenanigan uh, Rand's shenanigans catch up uh, every Chandler's attention. She's just like talking to, who is it, Thurava? Wait. Summerin. Summerin, yeah. She's talking to Summerin, and Summerin just kind of tunes out all of a sudden. Yeah, so I guess we're going to see what every single person in the world thinks of that channeling thing that Rand did. Yeah, it feels like that's kind of what's going on in this book so far. 
where you know. anyway, that's that's the end of that meeting. Uh, she briefly goes and talks to Chiad because Bane and Chiad have helped Fayil's buddies escape, but not Fayil for some reason. Yeah, she. I, I mean, she doesn't say this, but it feels a little bit like they were uh, a test run. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that might be true. Uh, the, the all the Shido are living in the ruins of this city, um, and they. Much is made about how the Shido don't give a crap about the buildings, and they just like have tor- torn everything upside down, and everything's all ashy and ruined, mm-hmm. which is a little weird because you know even a Shido can can appreciate being sheltered in the snow. You would think. Yeah. yeah, I think she says something like the only reason they even stopped the fire is because they weren't done looting yet. Yeah, and then as she's heading uh, to see Savannah, a Shido tr- attempts to rape her. Yeah. And her original captor, a guy named Roland, rescues her. Yeah. That... I guess, but not like fully rescues her, just rescues her from getting raped right now, not rescues her from being a slave. Right, right, right. Yeah. He's that dreamy hunk who originally enslaved her in the first place. Yeah. And, and he's into her. He immediately comes on to her. And, um, and he tells her she should smile more. It does. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, bro, maybe when I'm not enslaved by an army of super soldiers, I'll, you know, I'll start, I'll yeah. smile a little more. Yeah, maybe I'll smile when I see my husband, my man. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, about that. You know, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So if you want to bang it out, I mean, it's it's allowed. That's what he's saying. Yeah, sure it is, bro. Uh-huh. Uh, she resolves to use him to escape, which is, I guess, what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, she's plotting with Aleandre and Megden to escape, but so far has made zero progress. And Megden is more gays. Yes. Yes, Megden yeah. is more gays. Right. And Galena is still riding them because she wants them to steal that oath rod because she doesn't want to be a, a slave herself anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then they find out that Fayil's friends, who supposedly had gotten away with Shiad's help, didn't get away. They got caught. And they're being, you know, brutalized the way that the Shido brutalize all their slaves. Yeah. So so uh, while they're having this conversation with Galena, they learn that uh, Megden slash Morgays was actually actively trying to steal the oath rod in that moment, right? Yes. And she gets caught. At that time. Yes. But they don't know that she exactly what she's trying to steal, just that she's there to steal. And then she says... Just steal random stuff, yeah. She says, they tied me up. Does that... Did they... I, I guess I don't understand what happened after that. She said, they tied me up and left me there for later. Does that mean she escaped from being tied up? I was confused by this. Uh, oh, I thought... Maybe I skipped over it, but I, I thought that they tied her up and beat her up. Oh, maybe that was, I, th- I thought she said they tied me up and they said they were going to come back later or, you know, deal with me later or something like that. But maybe that's what yeah, it is. Maybe they tied her up and beat her up and then that was it. So Fail is summoned to Savannah, but she, but uh, on the way, this one other guy, Shane, and Avarine swears fealty to Fail. Not at all suspicious. <laughs> oh, I mean, Which, I guess whatever yeah. parents got is sexually transmitted. <laughs> um and i we don't know who avarine is i don't think although she doesn't seem she seems you know sketchy who the hell is this person yeah i don't i I couldn't figure out if she was supposed to be important but fail seems to have determined that she's either that she's probably of some sort of noble or something right yeah anyway so she's summoned to see savannah who is arguing with therava yeah, Savannah and the Wise Ones are still fighting. They've been fighting yeah. for up two books, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and Galena has burned Fael's plan. Fael had stockpiled some weapons and food and stuff, and Galena uh, ratted her out. So Savannah's punishment for Fael is to hogtie her overnight, naked in the which snow. Is, yeah, naked in the snow, which is. I mean, that's a bad punishment because she'll be dead, right? That's mm-hmm. what I was wondering. This, like, this this sounds like a way you die, right? I was thinking either Robert Jordan doesn't know how hypothermia works <laughs> or the Aiel don't know how hypothermia works because they're all genetically engineered super soldiers. And this is just a thing they do to each other when it's cold is they tie each other up and leave them out overnight. I think it's but like former probably right because like they would have seen people dying by now like that whole chapter when they were running through the snow to when they were first captured and like that the spankings chapter yeah um like people should have died or lost limbs like it's surprising that they didn't yeah so this was super weird to me because there is it's snowing right there's snow on the ground Mm -hmm. and if they leave her out there overnight naked hogtied she's just dead she's just Mm -hmm. dead after an hour right yeah, yeah, I that, I think so. Well, unless every time they do that, some random person comes along and saves them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like what happens? What happens is Roland shows up. Yeah, and gives um, her a body massage. Yes, and uh, he he knows exactly how to deal with the the cramping and and the problem the problems here. Uh huh. Yeah, he does. And uh, that's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so so far, Fail has made, I would say, zero progress. Yeah. Oh, we also we do also learn that uh, in terms of like the current fight between Savannah and her wise ones, uh, Savannah wants to hunker down there in the town for the winter, essentially, and the wise ones uh, want to bolt for the mountains. I think because they are concerned about what they just felt, but maybe I'm misinterpreting that. Yeah, I think they are worried about that too. But also, this is probably some kind of power struggle. I think what's really going on here is that Savannah is becoming a wetlander, right? That's that's why she has her guy Shane wear jewelry and they take slaves that aren't guy Shane that don't follow Gieto and she wants to live in this city. She she's setting herself up as a queen. And the Therava and the other wise ones, they want to stay Aiel, so they want to stay in the hard country and leave the town behind and and stop all this looting and stuff. Oh, that makes that does make sense. And and I yeah. I wonder, it's it's difficult to tell, but it seems as if, if we're to take Roland as any kind of like indication that she's losing support of her her clan, right? I know that Roland isn't her clan. He's he's brotherless. Uh, he's one of the 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 odd Aiel that floated in and joined them. But I think that so that the that other Aiel who uh, tried to rape Fael. Uh, was drunk and was saying, oh, we don't follow the ways anymore, which seems to imply that they're kind of like, their order is falling apart. Yeah, I think that's what is, it seems to be happening, that Savannah is still trying to keep them together somehow. But uh, we don't really know. Yeah. So chapter 10, a blazing beacon, icon of the Aes Sedai symbol. So Elaine is out visiting some noble manor on kind of a PR campaign. Yeah, glad handing the lowly oath holders. Uh, apparently requires a lot of costume changes. <laughs> yes, she talks a lot about how the, how she has, how much time she has to spend changing clothes to it's do like, this. It's like two hours when you get there because you have to change from your writing dress into your like audience clothes, and you talk to them for a few hours, and you have to change clothes again. Like it sounds like it's probably not worth it. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a queen. I don't. Uh, I don't know how that <laughs> yeah, works. But. She seems to know what she's doing, right? She's she's uh, you know throwing red meat to her base. <laughs> yeah, 
and they they're eating it up. They they seem to they seem to love it. You know. Yes, it totally works. Everybody, it seems like everybody she visits it becomes a, a a loyal vassal to her, or pretends that they always were. Uh, at one point, her maid sees a ghost. Yeah, it, that was weird. Yeah, that doesn't I, come up again. It, I it's. <sighs> All I can figure is this is either something that we're missing, like a clue that we're missing, because Robert Jordan loves to like drop these subtle, subtle hints, or it's something that's going to be explained later. But Elsie is—is this the? This is Elsie who we know, right? No, that Elsie's dead. Is that Elsie dead? Elsie Grinwell. Oh, yeah. she yeah, got that, killed by the. You're right. You're right. She got killed by. He a was Forsaken. pretending to be her. Yeah. One right. Of the so Forsaken. This is some other rando who apparently has the second sight. Yeah. So we've never but that's, heard about ghosts before, have we? Right? Yeah, we don't know what they think happens to you after you die. Yeah. In this world. They don't talk about that. They don't have churches, right? Mm-mm. Well, they have the pattern, right? And they think that people get woven in and out of the pattern. That's a thing. Yeah, but they but like did they have the concept of an afterlife? They talk about souls, like burn my soul or whatever. Mm-hmm. True. But it's a little vague and I don't know. It doesn't seem to be relevant to anything else that happens. Maybe it's just a ghost. <laughs> A good, good, good ghost. Yeah. And everyone's giving Elaine a hard time because she's pregnant. I, I actually completely forgot she was pregnant. It just <laughs> oh, yeah. it hasn't come up in a while, you know? It feels like like in real time, the time we've been reading these books, she would have had that baby by now. You yeah. Know? You don't think about somebody being <laughs> pregnant that long. But I think she's not even visibly pregnant yet. Like where we are in the timeline is, you know, even though that, that happened like a book ago, it's only been a couple well, weeks Yeah, like that. That time when Rand showed up and boinked Elaine and threw Elaine mind boinked basically every other woman in the palace, <laughs> that was like a month ago or something, right? I, I think so. In, in yeah. World time. So it's only through magical means that she knows that she's pregnant. Although that's not exactly true because their pregnancy seems to be fritzing her out a lot, kind of emotionally mm-hmm. and also with magically. So uh, Alice, you can speak to that. Is that yep. plausible? Checks out. Yeah. <laughs> So that dragon baby is eating her her emotional stability and her her ability to <laughs> resist cold, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Whatever that Aes Sedai trick is of, of resisting cold, which I wish I had. So she's levying troops from these little houses, but not really. She's really just shoring up her support. Yeah, she mentions that she gets like a, you know, a, a nominal, you know, crew, but they're mostly old people and young people who aren't going to be super useful. But I think that they also mentioned that the actual Lord of the the place who's not there is already bringing troops in. So that's good. You know, she, yeah. she does have some, some real forces. And as they're heading back to Camelin through the gate, uh, they notice the, the Rand channeling, Rand and Nynaeve cleansing the side in thing. Yeah. So, uh, so is this whole book just going to be what everyone was doing when Rand cleansed the taint? Yeah. I, so far it has been a lot of that. I mean, it's helpful, um, though, to kind of just, like, place where everything's happening since everybody's in different places right now. That is true. It's a good touchstone. Yeah. yeah, but it seems like a lot of these chapters revolve around that so much that I kind of wish they just flash back to it. Like, remember that thing? That was crazy. But as they open the gateway to Camelin, one thing I noticed was that Birgitta's bond with Elaine became stronger all of a sudden. So the bond the distance measurement from person to person by which the bond attenuates goes through gateways. Yes. Yeah. That is interesting. So it's not like, like a radio transmitter. It's about how it it radiates in all directions. So the closer you are, the stronger it is. But if you 
like create this teleporter, does that mean those, is it like radio waves that are emitting through the gateway? Or is it doing like a pathfinding algorithm or something? How, how would that even work? So I think that the way that they've explained gateways, and I think it I think they've actually said it works differently for men than it does for women, is that oh, they're yeah. joining two places, times and space. It's like a wormhole almost, right? Where there's like an overlapping, mm-hmm. uh, two overlapping spaces. And if that's the case, then I guess when that gateway opens, she is all of a sudden closer to... Uh, Brigitte through because that gateway spot joins those places, I think. Okay, so then if she was standing like in such a way that she could feel Brigitte in the direction of Camelin, and then she opened a gateway facing the other direction, would her sense of Brigitte now tell her that Brigitte is in the other direction away from Camelin? I think she was going through the gateway. She would feel both directions at once, right? Does she? So th- th- would she feel like. <laughs> Does, is there a time lag? That, right. Well, is, uh, is this transferring information faster than light? So, if we recall, <laughs> I, this sort of comes up in that one that uh, that game was it uh, Outer Wilds. Could you could you use this to yeah. accidentally create create a paradox? Yeah. Could could you do that? Could you get information from the future? I don't know. Let's hope they don't, because then reality would fall apart or something, right? Anyway, I found that. Uh, questionable yeah yeah <laughs> those are my questions <laughs> well we, so so another thing to note is that when they feel Rand's cleansing thing happening uh there's a moment where elaine's like we got to go there which i think is a is actually kind of a reasonable reaction for her i i don't know you i mean so? like kind of yeah i mean like whatever rand is doing it's big and elaine and avienda are two of the strongest channelers of this age, right? Mm-hmm. So would be useful to have, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Avienda does fight, talk her out of it, which around. I think is probably the right decision. You know, I think it's reasonable yeah. to think, oh, we should go do this. But Avienda's like, yeah, but we'll probably fuck things up if we just like teleport in in the middle of what he's doing, which is probably right. With well, no but, idea what's going on. But Rand can sense both of them, right? Or she, he can just sense Elaine. He knows where she is at all times. I think he can just sense Elaine. Eat Avienda. So he would know it was her. Oh, that's right. He can. He can sense Min, Elaine, and Avienda simultaneously because yes. they're all bonded. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's called a throned when you do it with that many people. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or no, there's four of them, right? So it's, it's a quand. Well, Brigitte's not bonded to Rand, only to Elaine. Okay. I don't know what you would call that. <laughs> I don't know. So chapter 11, Talk of Debts, Icon of the Lion. Uh, they head back to Camelin. And we get a map of Camelin. Is this a new map? Have you seen uh, this before? I, it looks new to me, but but I think it might, it's possible we might have seen the Camelin map one of the times that Camelin first showed up. But I don't know. I don't remember. So it's a cool map. The maps in the series are good. Uh, this time it occurred to me that this is really, the city is small. You know, we talk about how big the city is, but like I think you could fit eight of these in downtown Austin, right? If you count it block by block. Well, I mean, tr- transportation helps dictate the size of a city in, to some degree, right? Sure, yeah, but also population. So, yeah. you know, we, we talk about how Camelin is one of the great cities of the world, but it probably only has like 100,000 people living there. That's true. And we uh, another thing we've talked about is that this is a, uh, this is a world in decline. So it probably, it, it, like, for example, the White Tower used to have a lot more people in it. Like, there's a lot of spaces between cities that are empty. So it's possible it used to be bigger or, I don't know, yeah. maybe not. 
so so at the very beginning of this chapter, they were talking about this this siege, and something kind of occurred to me that you you can't really properly lay siege to a city with channelers. Yeah, um, it just right. doesn't work. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wonder if if Elaine's opponents would be using the strategy if they didn't if they had made that connection, you know, because like they're 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 serving no purpose. They're as Elaine points out, they're going to starve before she does, right? Yeah, I, maybe they're just trying to extract some concessions or something like that. There's something weird going on with that because she doesn't know why they're all supporting that one weak lady. We don't either, right? I don't think so. Yeah. And it's also, it's not clear how many people know that traveling with a capital T is back as well. Because it seems like all the channelers know that, but I don't know if other people do. That is a very good point. Uh, it's it's very possible that Elaine's uh, usurpers don't realize that she can do this. Mm-hmm. So Elaine thinks of the mechanics and, and we, she gets a little specific. Turns out there's 19 great houses in Andor and by tradition... She needs ten of them mm-hmm. uh, to to become the the queen, right? And mm-hmm. she's currently got two versus Amarilla, who has six. But yeah, it, uh, along the lines of what we were just talking about, it strikes me that if Amarilla was say vaporized from a mile away, that would really help a lot of the houses make their minds up, right? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. if that if that army encampment became like a blasted wasteland uh, in an hour. <laughs> then this problem seems to go away from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, but she's supposed to be behaving like she's already an Aes Sedai or whatnot. But she's, I, mean, I guess she is, I mean, according, I, I don't well, think she's an Aes Sedai and I don't care who's offended if I say that. She hasn't taken the oath. She hasn't been through the doorways. Yeah, she keeps, she thinks to herself on multiple occasions, you know, Egwene sure does want me to act like I've taken the three oaths, but I sure haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> but even even if that's the case, her her sister Avienda, who loves killing people, would, is right there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know Avienda, who loves to use magic to make fire? I'm just saying, you know? <laughs> like, if, yeah, uh, if all of a sudden I, I, that I, army that was laying siege to Camelot just became like a, a field of black glass, that'd be interesting too, right? <laughs> yeah, right? I, mean, I think that would change the succession order somewhat. It's just weird to me how she's not... She barely even thinks about that. And the, this army, like is meaningless in military terms, right? It can't besiege her. It can't even win a stand-up fight with her. Um, and even if it could win a stand-up fight with her, it definitely can't win a stand-up fight with her boyfriend's giant army of super soldiers. And that army can't even win a fight with her personally by herself because she's a, a, one of the most powerful magic users in the world. Yeah. She's, she's, a, she's, she's like a, a wizard queen or, or witch queen or whatever. Like she could, you know, she could, she could take power on her own, right? But it, I, she, she, she mentions that it's a, it's a loyalty thing. Like that, essentially, she doesn't want to rule that way because Camelin will not support her if she pulls that trick. Which I mean, I don't know if I buy that, yeah. but that's what she says. I, yeah, I don't buy that at all, right? I mean, I even if I didn't personally feel loyalty to the the wizard queen that can kill me so hard it goes back in time and kills me in the past <laughs> i think i would still you know i'd still be on board with whatever she's planning you know and she's yeah yeah i i i don't i don't necessarily agree with her approach but uh <laughs> yeah it's yeah. important to her it's important to her but i just felt like that that undercuts the gravity of some of the stuff that she's doing here because this this seems like a, a kind of kabuki theater war of her choice that she's fighting yeah mm-hmm. Well, either way, uh, 
while she's here, Dylan is out there drumming up support. She says, oh, I can't go visit these great houses. I don't exactly understand why, but she can't. But Dylan can visit for her and like kind of get them to declare declare for her because right. she, she claims that they've already essentially decided, but they're just, you know, dragging their feet about announcing it. Right. But so so it's it's progressing apace. I don't know. Does Di- is it just me or does Dylan feel a little shady too? Like I know that Elaine doesn't actually have much of a choice in terms of like who can, who she can rely on in the nobility of Andor, but I, but does Dylan seem sketchy? I don't know. Yes and no. I I don't I don't read her as like an evil dark friend or something. No. I read her as somebody that has done the math that Elaine has not done. Which is that there's no way Elaine's going to lose this fight. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so she so she she sees the writing on the wall better than Elaine does, and is like, "I want to be on the winning team, and I know what th- that team is already." Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, as a quick side note, Elaine is annoyed because she's getting hung over through the water bond because Birgitta has been drowning her sorrows over Guy Dalcane by drinking at night. Yeah, this I'm is actually sorry for Elaine. Like you, you felt <laughs> yeah. sorry for Elaine. I did. Like being pregnant sucks enough, and then you get all the shittiness that comes from hangovers without any of the fun of actually drinking. Well, that's true, but I, I felt bad for Brigida actually. Like I, I guess it, it never really. I hadn't thought about it really, but there's this, uh, this kind of. It's not even a major plot point or anything, but this kind of throwaway paragraph that like kind of broke my heart a little bit. It was like. Where is it? Uh, Geidel Kane was lost to Brigida as surely as if he were dead. And on top of that, her memories of her past lives were fading. She remembered almost nothing clearly before the founding of the White Tower and not all of that. Some nights, the fear that Geidel Kane would fade from her memory too, that she would lose any remembrance of actually having known and loved him, left her unable to sleep until she drank as much brandy as she could hold. I was like... It is sad. I, I mean, like, it, it, yeah. it made me think of, like, people who... Uh, develop Alzheimer's later on and like, f- and know that it's happening to them and they can, they can feel like their, their personality, their, their memories. And, and in some cases, the people that they love, like fading from their memory. And it just seems really like, yeah, it just made me really sad. Made me feel bad for Begita. That's yeah. not, 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 well, yeah. not a thing of her way, doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Right. But on the other hand, apparently you can heal hangovers in this world with magic. <laughs> That's pretty nice. I know, right? right? Like uh, through this entire chapter, Elaine's like, man, I wish I had gotten that person to heal that hangover. I'll have to do that later. <laughs> yeah. So the Aes Sedai are freaking out because of the, the great working by Rand and Nynaeve. And they want to flee, which, you know, a fairly reasonable thing. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they're acting like they want to bail. Uh, but I think that it's that, but it, I think it's also that they want to get away from the Windfinders. Like they're looking for an excuse to not have to deal with them anymore. And I do not, I do not blame them one bit. Yeah. We learned this in a meeting that Elaine has with the Aes Sedai. The, the Seafolk Windfinders are still like humiliating and brutalizing their Aes Sedai tutors, <sighs> which just seems bad and pointless. Yeah. I don't like the Seafolk very much right now. Cause that it, seems disrespectful. I <laughs> hate least. them even more than the wise ones. And that's saying, wow. That's they, saying something. Well, they, did, they didn't used to be that horrible. I, I, I kind of, I, I kind of resent the fact that they're, they're written this way to like abuse teachers because that just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what's the purpose of mm-hmm. that? They say, oh, teachers are 
the lowest on the totem pole and you know they're they're essentially like below the person who swabs the decks i was like why you know this is somebody who has something useful yeah. to, to give to you yeah you'd think that you know if you're the sea folk and you have a whole society that's built around rigid structure and and expertise um the expertise that nobody else has in the world you would respect education right yeah mm-hmm. maybe or it's- at least respect the 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 usefulness of what they're giving you maybe it's just that these Aes Sedai don't because they are rigidly hierarchical and the Aes Sedai don't fit neatly into their hierarchy they're at the bottom of the hierarchy by default I don't know that's that's the only thing I could think of but I yeah like not not really very fond of it yeah Yeah. and also when one of them like kicks Brigitte get Brigitte to the side to get to Elaine she should have killed her that's what I was thinking too. And yeah, we'll get to that. That's the yeah. next chapter. That's later yeah, later. I have some thoughts about this. Yeah. And so Vandine is still on the Black Aja hunt and or the hunt to cover up her murder of her sister, depending on right. how you read that situation. Right. If she is the dark friend, whoever the dark friend is. <laughs> yeah. She has apparently narrowed it down to Marilil, Carrianne, or Saritha, which I had forgotten that that happened. If that had happened. Yeah. The apprentices that are, tr- that are hanging around with Vandine now, one of them, this is again, I think like two books ago, basically put it together and was like, these are the things that were going on at the time. These are the people who could have done it. Essentially she logic out that these are the, those are the only three who were present at the right, who was, who were in the right places at the right times to do to have possibly done it or Vandine right, herself. Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. And one of her, bits of logic was it couldn't have been Vandine because that was her sister. Right. Exactly. So, you know, mm-hmm. one of those three mm-hmm. or Vandine. Also, um, Melar is there, that guy. Yeah. The, the dark friend. Like, ob- <laughs> obvious, obviously planted dark friend. Yeah. Uh, and it, he's been sort of freelancing and starting his own fights with the besieging force uh, for which Elaine slaps him down. Yeah. Cause he, re- he launched a rescue mission and saved 80 possible spies? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, man. Thanks. Now we got to watch these people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that guy. I mean, other than that he's evil and he should die. Yeah. And I, I, I want to point out that during this this little exchange with, with Captain Mellar and Elaine, Saritha is really like playing him up or, or trying to support him, which makes me think definitely the dark friend, right? Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. She just feels like uh, she's she, siding she, with Melar too readily. She's not that Aes Sedai that he met that time. We don't know. In that dark friend meeting. I don't think we know for sure. And if we do, no. I've forgotten. <laughs> but I, I don't think we know which one it was, but only only that it's she's probably the one who's who we're looking for, you know? All right. Then it was pr- probably her and Vandine that killed Adelius. Yeah, I think so. They, they probably like high-fived each other and were holding hands <laughs> while they did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> So chapter 12, a bargain, icon of the sea folk birds. So Elaine takes a bath. So, so Jeff, I remember back when we were first in the very, very early days, this was literally years ago, we were talking about this series and I have not made it this far in the series uh, previously, but you mentioned that the point when you dropped off was when there was an entire chapter where Elaine was just taking a bath. And up until this <laughs> yes. point, I, I, it hadn't happened yet. And I was like, maybe Jeff misremembered or something. But sure enough, this is that chapter. This is that chapter. It's honestly not as bad as I remember it being. Because <laughs> like one other thing happens in addition to her taking a bath. But mostly she takes a bath <laughs> for the whole chapter. Uh-huh. And she sits there and thinks about things <laughs> in the bath. 
Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's kind of the deal, right? Like, like. If I mean, you were I think to... maybe this is this. I think maybe we've reached the point that I got to in these books, and like I stopped halfway through this chapter when I realized that all she's doing is taking a bath and nothing is happening. <laughs> That's yeah. That that that's that's essentially this chapter. Like, I mean, we do get a like you mentioned. She talk, She thinks about some things. Like the the this is where we get kind of verification about how this how she's handling the siege situation. Essentially, they're teleporting supplies in from Tier and Ilian. Yeah, Ilian and Tier. They're traveling merchants full of salt beef and smoked fish, whatever you know. So that the siege is unbreakable. For that reason. Uh, yeah. And she also thinks a little bit about what her bros are up to. Hopes they're okay. Like, so, yeah, that's what Elaine thinks about. She also wonders for a while about the various Aes Sedai moving around. Um, and she doesn't know anything about what's going on with them. She just thinks about it, you know. Yeah. She's like, Wish huh, I knew what was going wonder, on with them. I wonder I what they're doing. They're... There's, they said there's one named Cat Swain. I wonder if it's the same Cat Swain. <laughs> this is a nice bath. <laughs> And then her her thoughts about Aes Sedai are, are interrupted by a ruckus. Thank fucking God. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, not as bad as I remember. It's not the whole chapter in this freaking bath. Mm-hmm. But most of it. I mean, but, like, most of the chapter. So what happens is Zaida of the Sea Folk, who is the wave mistress, windfinder, I don't know, leader of some kind, barges into her bath. Which is pretty rude. Yeah, not only is it rude, I think this is like, a diplomatic incident, right? I was thinking that maybe I just feel a little sensitive right now, but somebody barging into the space where another political leader is without permission, just so you can act like a dickhead kind of bothered me, especially since she was, you know, incredibly vulnerable being pregnant and naked in a bath. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And they, they made clear that she pushed that the people push past her bodyguard, uh-huh. including assaulting one of them. Yeah, yeah. Birgit Brig- should have beat the shit out of her. Yeah, so so Brigitte, they they trip her or push her or something, either with the mm-hmm. one power or physically, it's unclear. On the way in, it's like this is the captain of the guard. Like you don't do that. That's not cool. I'm surprised you know? that they managed to get that past her. So they must have used the one power to do it because if it had been a physical thing, she would have. I mean, she's she's too much of a badass to have let somebody just like push her, right? Yeah, I I think Elaine would have been completely within her rights to just torch these people right now. Yeah, because she's been attacked in the bath before, right? Yeah, <laughs> like this is the whole thing with Elaine. Like she she has all kinds of assassins around her, and these people they come in and they barge in and they're super rude. Yeah, uh, the, due to some kind of sea folk politics, right? The well, the other nested din race, the Seafolk wave mistress, gets killed by the Shanshan. Yeah, thanks to Matt's Shanshan kerfuffle. Oops. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Matt. <laughs> and they've and this wave mistress, uh, or not yet, this this person who wants to be the Seafolk wave mistress has come to bargain. And so Elaine, being more diplomatic than I would have been, sits mm-hmm. down to bargain with her. Yeah. I got to say, you know. Elaine tra- decides to chat it out with him in her bathrobe, but a real power move would have been to talk to them as she's getting dressed. Like what I would do is I just whip my dick out. You know? But I, to be fair, I do that with every well, negotiation before I begin. I, her- I whip out my dick. That's like my, my opening. It's like here's my opening offer. You know. And I, yeah, I yeah. I mean, you want your cards on the table, and in this case, your cards are your dick. <laughs> That's right. How 
How delightfully LBJ-esque of y'all. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. You give her the Johnson treatment. She just just take a huge dump. I I got in the middle of the negotiation. Keep the door open. I gotta say it really makes things awkward at a car dealership, but you know <laughs> you get a really good price on a car. <laughs> Sir, this is an Arby's. <laughs> we have standards here. <laughs> How's this for a roast beef? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but despite not putting her genitals proudly on display, Elaine does actually manage pretty well in this negotiation. You think so? Well, I mean, she thinks so. And the, and the indication is the sea folk think so. But I can't help but think that they, that there's like another angle here. Like, do yeah, we know the deal with this mi- square mile that they keep asking for in different places? Well, it, it's a, a port. It's a free trade port where the sea folk can can stash their stuff and move it around without paying any duties, which is the one thing sea folk don't have is they don't have land. But do they think it was like way inland though? It's on a river. Okay. So, so this, the, the reason the sea folk can't trade up the rivers and make even more money is because they, there's the, the rivers are controlled by cities mm-hmm. and the cities won't let them pass or won't let them land, won't let them do business without paying taxes. Whereas on the ocean, the sea folk can go wherever they want. So it's, it's much more restricted. But so what, if they have these places where they're allowed to land their ships and keep their stuff and have their people without any laws of the, the nation, then they can do whatever they want. They can move goods wherever they want. They can be this. It makes them much more powerful. Hmm. Uh, but Elaine, as part of the introduction of that negotiation, removes that that advantage, right? Doesn't she essentially say, oh, but you'll still pay taxes when you're moving in and out of that? territory this is why i think she got rolled because what she's thinking is oh you guys just want a port sure but you still got to pay taxes when you come in and out of your port but the sea folk don't want to do that what the sea folk want to do is have their own free trading zone and like inside that area where they can like create their own little cities their own manufactories their own warehouses their own supply that's totally outside of elaine's control so they're going to create wealth there that Elaine is not going to have access to. Oh, I see. That makes sense. I mean, so, in a way, but, she doesn't have much of a choice. Like, her leverage is is pretty weak because she really does need them, right? Like, like. Well, that's what I was thinking. I don't think she needs them. Like, they, she thinks that she needs this the Windfinders to do more traveling mm-hmm. to keep her city supplied. But she does have enough kin to do that. They're just not very well trained. And if she needs more, she can just go to Egwene and get more people, right? Uh, I don't know if she has that. I don't know. if. Well, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm not sure she feels like she can ask for that. If she, if she didn't needs more people, but also she can go to the Ashaman and get more people, right? Like she doesn't have to make this. And also this is uh, what she's getting is the ability to do gateway, continue doing gateways for like six months. Yeah. And this piece of land is there in perpetuity, right? This is going to be something that 200 years from now is still making bank for the sea folk and costing Andor money. Like, and this, this, the sea folk are just operating on another level, it seems like to me. And that, at this point, they have lots of these, right? Like, because they've made the same deal in several places. I think every yeah. city that Rand owns, right? The the other big thing, exactly. This is what they keep doing is they're they're setting up their own like trade network, their own uh nation state without any land that's on the sea like the only thing they lack is land yeah so anyway like this is the the, the thing the sea folk don't do is go on the rivers and i think this allow is going to allow them to become like river traders too they're going to dominate uh it's like economic victory and civilization the other issue that i think is that 
Elaine thinks like, oh, it's going to be great to have this this bit of land here because that means our goods can go onto Seafolk ships and it access the whole world. But Seafolk ships are going to be completely invalidated by traveling. That's a good point. That is a very good point. Like the as this ability, you know, we think post apocalypse or whatever, once they solve this big war problem, channelers become more ubiquitous, not just Aes Sedai. Now there are channelers in lots of different areas. And suddenly this is like, there aren't, you don't need ships to transport goods, right? Suddenly you right. have, you hire a traveler and they open a portal to the other city and you go there instantly. Yeah. So she's not even getting that much out of this deal. At least that's what I think. But hmm, the people in the chapter think it's a good deal. Anyway, the deal is the Seafolk initially are trying to get Elaine to let them take all of the Aes Sedai in the city to be their tutor slaves. Right. Um, and Elaine's like, fuck that. And they negotiate down to, I think it's just Merrill, uh, right? Not, yeah, just, just Mar- poor old Marilil, <laughs> who never did anything wrong unless she killed Adelaus. Yeah, might be the dark friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, in exchange, nine Seafolk Windfinders are going to stay to help with the, the traveling and supplying the city during the siege. But will not fight, which Elaine's like, yeah, who cares? Right, because it's not a real battle, right? It's not a real war she's having. It's like kayfabe. It feels like very little happened in these last few chapters. Uh-huh. Uh, it feels like very little has happened in this book. Yeah. Just think about like it. We we're... got up to this point sort of catching up to where we were at the end of, you know, two books ago. That's what I was thinking. We're, we're now, I would say, approximately halfway through this book and no time has actually passed, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're just, and, and, and to be fair, this is exactly what our listeners warned us about. This is, this is where we are, right? This is, this is why people have trouble with this book because, we know the context. This used to be a huge book, and now they they scissored out a bunch of parts, and this is this is like what's left, sort of. Right. So we know how we got here, <laughs> but it, <laughs> I, I do see why people have issues with it. I well, I will the, say the only that way out is through. Yeah, I will say it's not awful, but it is uh, it is slow. It's what I'm finding is that his talent for description is absolutely still there. Um, there was uh, some bits in the Fail chapter where she's thinking about how you launder silk. Where I was thinking, like, oh, that's that's totally believable. Like Robert Jordan knows a lot about laundering silk by hand, <laughs> which I I find that stuff, you know, pretty fun to read because I'm interested in things in you know details of techniques like that. But the action, there's no action to hang it on, right? It's like there's it's all flesh and no skeleton. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's true. So we got a really interesting question from Jan Sala on Twitter, uh, who asks. What character or plot thread thus far would you absolutely like to be cut from the TV adaptation? That's an interesting Ooh. question. Uh, and it's, it's, I would say that's a hard one, right? Kind of. Yeah, it's, it's, they're all connected for the most part, so it's hard to pick one. But I would say one of the things I really dislike is the kind of misery porn stuff. Like when Egwene is made a slave for a little while of the Shanshan, like the mind control mm-hmm. slavery stuff. I find that like, hard to read and frustrating. And I think you maybe, maybe you could cut that. I mean, that's sort of the, sort of a, a defining feature of Egwene's character. She super hates being a captive and she really hates the Shan Shan. But maybe you can, you can just have that be part of her character anyway. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel like you can get a lot of her characterization through the time that she spent in the waste with the Aeol. Like, I don't think you need the whole Shan Chen story to explain who she is or to establish her like 
badass credentials that she develops in between being a farm girl in the two rivers and the freaking Omerlin seat. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like the the time spent with the wise ones is what developed her skill and knowledge. And I feel like I feel like you could tie so so to me the the, the Sean Chan torture uh hardened her somehow. Um uh, but I, I think you could you could do that with the wise ones, yeah. You could you could certainly downplay it, you know, like the Egwene's power was increased greatly by the way by her time with the Sean Chan because they're the forcing her to do all this stuff. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I kind of agree with that, Jeff. I, I think I would probably like to, I think I wouldn't remove it, but I would love for them to modernize every romance in this, in this <laughs> series. You know, you, like I, I feel like it wouldn't be that hard and it wouldn't be harmful to the, the character of the story at all to like clean up the whole toxic abusive relationship thing that happens in almost every romance in this series you know like like i i remember like the parent and fail stuff you know for whatever it is right now in the earlier days when they're you know when they're traveling in the ways together and they like she beats him up and stuff i thought i'd be okay if they just left that out altogether you know we actually got it was it was much much earlier on, but we got an email from one of our listeners who was talking about that when they were a, a young man. Like he didn't say exactly how young, but I got the impression like early early to mid teens, and he was reading these books for the first time. He got really bad messages from the parent and file relationship, and he actually because he didn't realize that that was so toxic because it's not portrayed as something terrible it's portrayed as humorous and you know the path to love or something like that and it was actually very damaging for him when he was trying to kind of like figure out what relationships between men and women should look like um hmm. so it can be actively harmful yeah can I, i'm you know and and i could just be like a little biased is there a like a what you would consider like a positive relationship template in this entire up to up to now in the series lan and nymeef because I think they're they're both strong people. They both have their own identities. Neither one of them um, subsumes themselves in the other one's personality. And Lan kind of just steps back and lets Nynaeve be a badass and do her thing, which I like a lot. Yeah, I, I, could, I, yeah. I like that. Uh, maybe they, they bonded over shared interests. <laughs> like tracking, yeah. hunting. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, like my husband, his his... He jokes about it, but it's the, what do I call it? I call it the Tuesday test. It's for the success of a relationship. He says, if it's 8.30 p.m. on a Tuesday, what are you doing as a couple? Like, how are you existing together at that time? Mm. Like, you need to have some sort of overlapping shared interest of some sort mm. is the point he was trying to make. Um, and so I think, yeah, they do. There are two people that do have, I think, a lot of overlapping ideals and values and interests, I think, to a certain extent as well. Yeah. I, the first one that came to my mind was actually Egwene and Gawain. What? E- even what? though, I mean, yeah, I mean, no, no, no. It's I, not, I mean, it, it's cheesy and like teenage but it's not negative, right? It's not toxic, right? They sort of star-crossed lovers, you know, they don't lie to each other. They don't get angry at each other. They just, you know, the the forces of fate have kept them apart, even though they yearn to be together. It's like, it's cheesy, but I do think it's positive. Yeah. Uh, maybe... I think the, 
in the same vein, Min and Rand, like, obviously, again, kind of cheesy the way they're like, Rand's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, she does seem to be grinding on me an awful lot, but she's just <laughs> playing a joke she's on me or whatever. Joker. <laughs> but they're not like mean to each other and and they are mostly supportive of each other, you know. Yeah, but that's weird down. because the way they work is because as Rand is constantly thinking she's like a dude, but she's not a dude. Yeah. Which is almost just as bad. Um, yeah, like the only true. way you can have a successful relationship between a man and a woman is if the woman is like a yeah, man. Get rid of the woman. <laughs> what about you, I Alice? I have to say, I um, it's not as it's not really so much of a plot point as a character quality, but I would really like for them to clean up Bear Lane and to remove the whole like her being overly sexual and especially the thing with her and Perrin is so frustrating because like she is such an awesome character and like she's somebody I wanted to get to know more and like her and like Ruark like I said like I even like came up with a little like song for the spin-off of Ruark and Berlain the sitcom that they need to make about the two of them <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love her. she's so cool and she's so interesting and Mayan is such an interesting place and I wish that they would just make her a better character and by at the very least taking out the whole like parent fail, whatever that is. Yeah, I, I could I could agree with that. I think I think that I think that Berylaine could very easily be like tweaked to make her like not a problem at all. You know, like she, yeah. she has a lot of great qualities and and does a lot of really cool stuff. If you just you know discount the fact that she's doing what she's doing, yeah, <laughs> with Perrin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So that, that's an interesting question. Um, I I suspect that there's no possible way they could make a show that's going to include anywhere near all of this. So I am going to be be very interested to see how they solve that problem. Because you know, when when you ask that question, what I was thinking about is like, what can you remove that doesn't affect that doesn't have downstream effects, right? Because so many mm-hmm. of these things are dependent on each other, and and for what for what ever Robert Jordan doesn't do great. He does a great job of like interweaving these various plots. They're all dependent on each other. They're all involved in each other. You know, everything has an effect on everything else in certain ways. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm saying, I was saying thank you to our listeners who probably heard this. I wasn't saying thank you for you. <laughs> <laughs> that was my question. Thank you. Our listeners uh-huh. for sending us, us that great question and uh, keep them coming. So that's it for this episode. Next time we're going to cover chapters 13 through 15 of Crossroads of Twilight. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. That's at Alice M. Sullivan on Twitter and Blue Bonnet Cafe on Instagram. I'm Micah Sparkman. I still don't have one of those. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at thedragonreread.com. We love hearing from you. And if you ask us a question, we may answer it on air. Please share this with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews wherever you got this. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash armadillopodcasting club. Please like us in real life. We're just so likable. Until next time. The the light light illumined you. you.